All right, week three of why Jesus. See, we've talked about where we come from, right? We've answered the origin question. If maybe you're sitting here and you don't know where you come from, you can go back to our YouTube channel and you can listen to that message. You can find out you really didn't come from a tadpole with a tail, okay? That you were designed specifically by God for a purpose. Last week, we talked about what is our purpose? What does God really want us to do? Does he want us to be doctors, lawyers, trash men? What does God really want us to do? We talked about that. This week's a little bit more interesting. We're going to talk about morality, right and wrong. Let let me just say on the onset that sometimes we hear things with our ears and we tend to disagree with them thinking, well, that's not truth or that, that can't be right. Here's the fact. It doesn't matter what you hear with your ears. It doesn't change the fact that the truth is the truth. There is an absolute truth in everything. There's an absolute truth. Although people took a, a Gallup poll here lately, and 27, only 27% of these people who were polled, 27% of church people believed that there was an absolute truth. Only 27%. I mean, think about that just for a second. That, okay, let's say we vote right now. And we decide gravity is not true. We're going to vote the principle of gravity out. Okay? It is just not true here. Then we're going to let Tony go. Big Tony, not me. Tony here. We're going to let him go up on the roof. And since gravity is not real, you can jump. Does it change the fact of whether or not he believes it's not real or not? It's an absolute truth. It really happens. There's lots of absolute truths in our lives, even though we may not believe them to be true. It doesn't change the fact of what they really are. And in the church, we've, we've begun to back off a little bit because some of the absolute truths aren't as friendly as what you would hope. They don't make as many friends as what you would hope. And see, when you stand for the absolute truth... People don't like you. Just let, let's just be real. People don't like you when it's absolutely 100% true. I read a story yesterday. I shared it with Garth late last night uh, about a pastor who received a letter from a, a man in his mid-40s who's been divorced. And the letter goes something like this. He said, hey, dear pastor, I'm in my mid-40s. I've been divorced. I started dating this woman who is also a believer, a Christian, and we have fallen in love. We're not married yet, and we can't get married because we've got some financial issues, but we've begun having sex. Now, mind you, I love her, right? And he didn't call it sex. He said we've begun being intimate, right? Because intimacy sounds a whole lot better than fornication, right? I mean, it just, let's be real. Uh, We doctor things up, right? Think about it. Think about how you doctor things up. They have a drinking problem. No, they're drunk. Well, they have an addiction. No, they're a drug addict. Well, she, she kind of steps out on her husband. No, she's cheating. See, we, we say things, and this, this man, I'll get back to the letter. This man said intimate instead of fornication because it made it sound better. He says, but here's the problem I'm having. I don't feel like the Holy Spirit is convicting us of this, but we have friends that are making us feel bad about it. Okay, so the pastor writes back and he says, number one, I want to write to you as I'm your old friend. We've known each other since high school, so I just want to be blunt, straightforward with you. Number one, with everything going on in the world, soldiers dying, economic crisis in places, you being intimate, as you say, doesn't really matter. It just doesn't really matter. Number two, I find it funny that you said intimate instead of fornication. Because we have a tendency to change the words to make us feel better. Number three, maybe the Holy Spirit really is convicting you, and that's why you're writing me. Because if it wasn't that big of a deal, you certainly wouldn't write me. Right? Number four, hear this. Number four, those friends that are making you feel bad, lots of times God chooses to use other Christians to speak to you. So maybe you should open your ears up and listen. 
Now, how true is that? God's absolute truth is sex is designed to happen inside a marriage covenant, period. It's for reproduction purposes and for a husband and wife to become one flesh, period. Does it matter? And, and the church is this way, guys. Let me, let me be real. The church has gotten to the point even if they've been married before, they've been married before. It's not really fornication anymore because it's not premarital sex anymore. Right? Because they've been married. And if you're, if you're 40 or 50, it's kind of expected that that's going to happen. But it doesn't change the fact of what God said. So if there is an absolute moral authority, it doesn't matter what we think is right or wrong. There's a moral authority that says otherwise. I wrote this down. Bobby Leach, who was an adrenalist, we would call him today a daredevil. He, he went over Niagara Falls 20, 30 years ago in a steel barrel. Now, it was a specially crafted barrel that when he got in it, it would do the best to save his life. And so he was enclosed in this barrel. And he only suffered some minor abrasions, some minor, you know, bruising. He did well. Months later, he was just walking around in a city, and he slipped on an orange peel. True story. Broke his leg. Wound up dying in the hospital due to complications of his broken leg. See, he was more concerned with going over Niagara Falls than walking around a street, and he stepped on something. There's a spiritual lesson in that. See, we're more concerned with the big things, yet it's the little things the enemy gets you with. See, the big things you know. I, got, I can't drink. I'm just telling you. I mean, I, I have an addictive personality, if you've not been able to tell. So I can't drink. I just can't. I, I know. I wouldn't now. But I, I know that I can't. So I stay away from that, right? Maybe there's something that you know you can't do or you shouldn't be around, so you, you avoid that like the plague. But then there's little things that trip you up. There's little things that trip you up. Now, let me ask you a question. Is the big thing any different than the little thing? The big thing's the exact same as the little thing. In God's eyes, sin is sin. In God's eyes... The morality of drinking and being a drunk is the same as lying and being a liar. Well, it's just a white lie. It's just a little bitty lie. How many little bitty lies do you think send you to hell? Just one. How many times drunk send you to hell? Just one. See, it's an absolute truth. It's a morality issue that we think we can change because we're just different now. Well, that was Jesus back in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And, you know, they, they had to act like that. They didn't have social media where you could meet everybody. They, they divorced what is in it. It was harder to get a divorce then than it is now. Does that really change the absolute truth? They, now, listen, I'm not beating up on anyone who, who's gotten a divorce. So hear me. And those of you who know me know better. Does that change the fact that the Bible says there is no reason for a divorce? Doesn't change it. The absolute truth is God desires for you to work it out. Amen. Can God work it out? I'll be married 15 years, April 1st. My wife's right back there. We can prove to you that God can work it out. We've been through it. I put her through everything. The absolute truth was God's desire for us to get married and to work it out. It's an absolute truth. So in your notes, I'm sure you're tired of hearing me rant and rave. So John chapter 1, verse 17 and 18, we read them last week. We're going to read them one more time this week. It says, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God the, the one and only son who is himself God and is at the father's side, he has revealed him. So how do we know how to live morally? Jesus. Here's the crux. We have to figure out if we're living morally 
to try to attain something or for living morally because we have attained something. There's a difference. Are we doing this because we're trying to be good enough to get to heaven? Or are we doing this because we're already seated in heaven? Because we want to be nobody and let everyone see Jesus through us. See, people know when you're a moral fake. They just do. It's, it's just absolutely easy to see when you're only doing the right so you can get something out of it. Let me make this statement while it just popped in my head. Doing the wrong thing for the right reason is never the right thing. Well, I didn't want to hurt her feelings, so I lied. So wrong. Well, I didn't want to fill in the blank. Doing the wrong thing for the right reason is never the right thing. Boys, did you hear that? I mean, if no one else gets anything out of this today, you three better get everything. Okay? There's a pop quiz when we're done. Number one in your notes. You could use Garth, too. Yeah. Right and wrong. The absolute moral authority. Go with me just for a mind to make believe land. Okay? There's an atheist. And this atheist isn't walking through the forest because we heard last week the guy walking through forest got ate by the bear. So this one's a different atheist. This atheist doesn't believe in absolute authority. But let's just pretend for a minute that his apartment has been robbed, ramshacked, and he comes home and things are everywhere. His big screen TV is gone. He rushes to the bedroom where his safe was and it's been cracked open and all his money is out of the safe and he is furious. Is there an absolute truth there? Robbing is wrong, right? Now, some of you may be saying, well, that's criminal. That's not really the same thing. We know that stealing, that involves the authorities, and that's wrong. But it's an absolute truth that stealing is just wrong, right? And the atheist believes that it's wrong too. But if, if he didn't like that one, what about he applied for a job? And you found out he applied for that job, but you went to the guy who was hiring him and told him all kinds of bad stuff about that guy, and the atheist didn't get the job. He'd be furious when he found out that you told all those lies about him, right? Because, again, there's the absolute truth of lying is not right. Okay? What about when he's sitting at home watching a ball game? He's sitting at home watching a ball game, and maybe it's baseball, and the umpire makes a bad call. He jumps up out of his seat, and he's hollering and screaming because it was just a bad call. I mean, it was just clearly a bad call. See, the atheist himself has figured out that there is an absolute truth, that there is a right and wrong The problem is he just doesn't know who the absolute moral authority is. See, there is an absolute moral authority who has said from the get-go, this is how it is. This is what's right and this is what's wrong. You don't get to change it. It's in black and white in your Bibles. Now, I understand many of you may say, well, you know, I've got a different kind of Bible and mine doesn't necessarily say that. No, yours says that. The problem is you've just never read it. See, there, there is an absolute moral authority, and God is it. Well, why does he get to be the moral authority? Because he created you. Amen. See, if, if evolution was true, which I don't believe it is, but if it was true, then isn't it funny how you evolved, and all of a sudden right and wrong kind of came with it? Right? I mean, people know that stealing is wrong. Even people who steal will tell you it's wrong right? People know, listen, people know that stepping out on their loved ones is wrong. You say, well, I don't think they do. My, you know, my ex-spouse didn't. Listen, they knew. That's why they did it in secret. Okay? People know that lying is wrong. Well, no, 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 they don't. Yes, they do. That's why when you call them on it, they get mad. Okay? Listen, There's an absolute moral authority, and the one who tells us that there's a moral authority can do that because he created us and he placed in you right and wrong. My boys have never had a girlfriend, and if I I have any way about it, they won't until they're ready to get married. 30. My girls are going to be 50. 
at least. But they know, even though they've never entered into that type of relationship, they, they could tell you that if someone had a boyfriend or girlfriend and they started going to talk to someone else, that that's not right. How do they know that? Because it's in them. It's not that we've ever talked about it, because I don't talk about boyfriend and girlfriends with them, except they can't have one. But they know. Did your child ever lie to you? Did you know they give them a special class? I mean, like, the baby is born, whisked off to the nursery, and while you're with the mother and they're recovering for that few moments, they're in there, they got them hooked to a machine, and they're teaching them how to lie. Did you know that? No, it's there. I mean, I've had seven kids, I know. It's, it's there. They, it's natural. It, it's just natural to them. No one ever taught you to lie. Well, I don't lie, liar. No one ever taught you. You just knew. And you knew it was wrong. That's why when mom and dad said, like we do it with baby boy, baby boy telling lies, he watched this YouTube thing and you say, no, papa. He's, he, no, papa. Are you telling lies? What? Don't answer. Uh, see, you don't, he's three. He knows what's right and wrong. He knows if he tells a lie, he's going to get it. You whip your child? Yeah. If you don't like it, take them and raise them yourself. I'm going to whip them now while they're young so they're not robbing you when they get older. How's that? Is that fair? Number two, absolute authority rests in the one who actually has it. Did you know in every organization in the world, period, the buck stops somewhere? Everywhere. If it's a corporation, there's a board of directors. There's a president of the board of directors who makes the final call. The buck stops. The United States government, you say, well, man, let's not get there. Just real quickly, the United States government, who has the final authority? The president of the United States. In your family. Who's supposed to have the final authority? I said supposed to because I know some of you don't. See, here, here's the issue. We have changed it because it's not politically correct. We don't want to upset people. We don't. The fact is God created it for a reason. And is the spiritual head, the leader of the house. Should he rule as a dictator? No. But ultimately, he'll answer for everything that happens. The church. Jesus, obviously, is the spiritual head, right? But on earth, who's the head? It's the pastor. God has placed them there for a purpose. It reminds me of the story I read. This pastor was, like, he, he was really good. And so another church called him and said, hey, we'll offer you four times the amount of money that you're making right now. And he said, well, I, I don't know. I, I got to pray about that because, you know, I, I'm really doing some good things here. And I think God, so I'm just going to pray and see if God really wants me to. Well, one of his kids was out, and one of the church members, he was open with the church, and they knew what was going, and they were praying to, and so one of the church members called his kid and said, hey, do you know what your dad is thinking? The boy said, no, I ain't got a clue what dad's thinking. He's in there praying, but mom's in there packing. Who do you think the authority in that house was? Mom. See, God designed it for a purpose. There are the buck stops here, people, because when God looks at them, that's the one who answers. Families, husbands, you sat back and watched The Simpsons and Married with Children and desensitized us and they've changed the way families operate, right? Because Peg was a, a bull, Marge was a bull. I mean, they, they just did what they wanted and the guys were just dummies sitting on the couch with his hands in his pants. And they've desensitized us and guys have stepped back and women are running the show. Women, I'm not, I, I'm not sexist. I'm not saying shame on you because I understand lots of women have stepped up because the men failed. I understand that, okay? It's time for men to take their heads out of the ground 
and step back into the role that God has called us to be in. See, absolute authority rests in the one who has it. Well, where does absolute authority morally rest? With Jesus. Why does it rest with Jesus? Well, he tells us in Matthew 28 and verse 18, he tells us, Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Period. All authority. Is he still subservient to God? Yes. Because they have a perfect working relationship, right? Not for the child to raise the parents. Do you hear me? Now, I'm not blistering anyone in here who has kids because there are days that my girls tell me exactly what to do and I do it. I mean, they're nice about it somewhat. I like to say they're nice. Uh, but the, the fact is, if you're the parent and that's the child, something's wrong if they can act one way and you do just what they want. There's an absolute authority. There is a pecking order, so to speak. And you're supposed to be above. That's why God gave you the child and didn't give the child, you know, didn't give you to the child. Right? I mean, that's why women become pregnant, carry the child, birth the child, raise the child. About two or three years old, the child takes over. Right? I mean, come on, let's be honest. We, we have to stop and say, where's the authority at? Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. So if Jesus says it's right, it's right. Jesus says it's wrong, it's wrong. And you know what? If he says it's wrong, it doesn't matter if you like it or not. It just doesn't matter. What is, here, here's the most common phrase I think children hear from their parents. Right? You tell your child something, I tell my kids something, I, and they say, well, why? What was it? Because I said so. Now, we're told today by all these counselors that you shouldn't tell your kids that, that you should give them a reason. You should explain to them. You know what? My parents explained reasons to me, but it wasn't the way that's acceptable today. It was because I said so. If you wanted to keep talking, we could have further conversation. But there wasn't a lot of voices happening. There was a lot of screaming, but not a lot of voices. Right? The problem with today is because I said so isn't good enough anymore. So they say, Why? 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 And then we think we have to talk to him like they're an adult. Rawson's 14. He's growing like, I mean, it's unbelievable. Every day I, I look at him, I'm like, man, where, where did the time go? But you know what? He's 14 and he knows it. He made the mistake this week of telling his mom that she didn't have the authority to tell him to do something. You're not such a prize child anymore, see? This is what he learned all week long. That mom has what? All the authority to tell him what to do. I didn't whip him. I didn't beat him. We just took things. Because, yeah, everything. We did let him have air and food, uh, which were the only two things my parents told me I, was, had, I had a right to was air and food. Uh, but I, it's time, guys, that we back up and we remember who the authority is. Where does it come from? If Jesus has all authority and he says, this is how it should happen, then who are, even if we don't like it, who are we to change it? Jesus said, one woman, one man, married for life. I understand things happen. We're human. Mistakes are made. I'm good, okay? I'm not blistering anyone. But I want to back up to not for life, but I want to back up to one man, one woman. That's why God created Adam and Eve and not Adam and Steve. Just because the world says it's okay, they don't have the authority to change the moral implication of it. Amen. And guys, whether you like it or you don't, that's irrelevant. You say, well, you're just homophobic. I'm not. My biological mom is probably online right now watching. My mom is gay. I love my mom because she's my mom. Do I think it's wrong? Yes. You see, it's an absolute authority issue. It's not what I believe. It's not how I feel. It's God said it, and that settles it. 
God says you're not supposed to step out on your husband, on your wife. God said it. That settles it. Well, I don't like it. I don't care if you like it. See, some of you won't be here next week because I said that. I really don't care. If you don't like it, go to the author of the book and tell him. See how that works out for you. I bet he don't change. See, that's the problem with the authorities that God has set up. People come and they, well, I don't like it. Well, all of a sudden they've changed. Well, it's okay. It's okay. Hey, we got to reach people. We're going to be nicer about it. We're going to be more laxed. Really? You know, all you're doing is you're making them go to hell faster. That's all you do. Whenever you don't stand your ground, you can't push anyone to hell any faster by telling them the truth. It is what it is. Number three, violating absolute authority will bring negative results every single time. Has anyone ever, I'll tell you, you ever cheated on your spouse? Oh, everything turned out great after that. Really? You ever lied on your taxes? Oh, everything turned out great. Yeah, look at Willie Nelson. Everything turned out great, didn't it? You ever drank too much and drove? Oh, everything turned out great. No, it didn't. My dad died. I was five. And there were lots of times that he drove home drunk and made it. You know how many times it takes not to make it for you to be dead? Just once. See, violating absolute authority will always, always, always bring a negative consequence. It's going to happen. You just have to figure out what's, where you want to be on that side. Jesus said, and we won't read it all, but it's going to come on the screen, Matthew 7, verse 24 through 29. Jesus said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like wise men who built his house on the rock. Because there's an absolute authority that if you build your life upon what Jesus says, you got a good foundation. But if you've ever been in construction, you build your house on something that doesn't line up with you, and what happens? Eventually, it's coming down. I mean, it's just coming down. We started our marriage out not based on Jesus. Three years later, it was coming down. But God. See, we have to back up and we have to look at what Jesus says and build everything upon his moral authority. Because when we don't, there are negative consequences. Churches. When we build a church upon what God says, yeah, it doesn't look, I mean, look around. And if you, maybe you're like, well, this ain't bad. There's a human side of me that looks out and says, man, there's a lot of empty chairs. And I get depressed. But I also understand that we're going to build this thing on what God says. We're going to leave the results up to God because that's not my thing. Right? We're going to continue to tell people the truth. We're going to continue to go after the people that nobody else wants. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. You know, Jesus went after the drunks and the convicts and the prostitutes and the street walkers. And he went after the rich, right? Yes, say yes. Uh, he went after the poor. He went after the paralyzed, the cast out, the shacked up, the broken up. That's who Jesus went after. Churches nowadays, lots of them want to go after the rich and they want to stop there. Well, there's a church down the road that you'll fit in better. Really? See, I believe that's a moral consequence that they're going to have. Well, we, kids, we don't want kids in here because they can be loud. There's a moral consequence to that. Jesus said, let all the children come. Right. right? Jesus said it, so who are you to change it? Now, do I think it's great that we have children's church? Do I think it's great we have a Miss Kim? Yes. But if we don't have Miss Kim, is it okay for the kids to be in here and squawk and cry? And Yes. We just roll through it. Because when you blast someone or when you change what Jesus said, there's a negative consequence. I could tell you, I'll tell you, there, there's a church in Chicago 
and listen, if I told you who the pastor was and the church name, you would probably know it. I mean, it's a, it was a large church, large, like 10 or 12 campuses. They had a campus in, in Florida. I mean, they were a large church. And he built it on the, the great band. He built it on the friendly atmosphere. He built it on the politically correct. And what happened? 20 years later, the church began to figure it out, and they voted him out. And he started the church. They voted him out. Why? Because there were some moral failures that happened, and the negative consequences were beginning to tear the church apart. Today, they have one campus. Just one. The former pastor suing the church. See, moral failures always have a negative reaction. It may not happen in your time, but guess what? You're not God. The Bible says, be assured, your sin will find you out. Well, what's sin? Sin is a moral failure. It's what it is. They have negative consequences, negative results. It's, it's, it happens. The writer of Ecclesiastes said, Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner can destroy much good. You know why some churches don't prosper? Because there's sin in the camp, and the church is afraid to call it out. You mean one person's sin could keep a church from prospering? You don't remember the story of the Israelites? And they were whipping people's tails. I mean, listen, they were bad mamajamas. And all of a sudden, they beat up some people. They won the war. And someone took some stuff and took it back. He hid it under his tent. Well, then they went out to the Battle of Ai and had a third of the people to fight and whip and got their tails handed to them. Well, why? Because John decided to keep some loot. He kept the loot, and the whole nation suffered for it. I believe congregations suffer because there's sin in the camp, and we're afraid to call it out because we don't want to hurt their feelings. We're afraid to call it out because we don't want them to leave. Does anyone like to see people leave? Me neither. No one wants to see people leave. But if the truth is the truth and we, ha- and we can't change it and it's given to us and we're to bear each other's burdens, we're to help restore one that has fallen, we're to love them like Jesus loved them. And what did Jesus do? He shared grace and truth. And if we're to do that and we go to Jackie and say, hey, Jackie, you know, I love you, but there's da-da-da-da-da. And I did it in love. Jackie knows I love her. If Jackie decides to turn and bolt, is that my problem? Is that my fault? No. The thing Jackie should do is say, you know what? I'm glad you brought that to me. Would you help me get through it? And you know, then all of a sudden we link together and we start walking. See, the problem is, guys, people hear it and they bail from it. You leave and you think, well, it's their fault. You go to the next place and guess what? You got the same problem. You go to the next place and you got the same problem. You go to the next place and you got the same problem. What's the common denominator? It's you. But guys, churches will only prosper. Listen, churches will only prosper as much as the congregation does. Well, why is that? Because Paul referenced us as a body. You know what? And if I got a gimp foot... I can only go so far. If my pinky toe ain't working, I'm off balance. Right? If my arms aren't picking up because they're doing other stuff they shouldn't be doing, then we're only prospering as far as the entire body can move. And guys, we're missing blessings because there's sin in the camp. There's a moral authority. His name is Jesus. And you have to do what he says. You don't... You don't have a right to do otherwise. 
in the Canary Islands in April of 1977, there was a major accident at an airport with two 747s. One pilot taxied out onto the runway. The other pilot was having to taxi onto the runway. And it was foggy that day. And the one pilot thought, well, I'll just help them out and I'll go ahead and take off. And as he began to rush down the runway to try to take off, he hit the other 747. 545 people died that day because one pilot thought he was helping out by doing the wrong thing. See, pilots are taught one thing. The person up in the tower is the absolute authority. You can't see everything. You don't know everything that's happening. So you're not to take off. You're not to move until they tell you to. What if, just guessing, but what if the church did the same thing? What if the church began to realize that we can't see everything, we don't know everything, we're not near as smart as what we pretend to be, and we moved and we did just what God told us to do? How do you think that would work? There used to be a pastor named Jack Howells. Jack Howells pastored First Baptist um, in Indiana, just, just over the line from Chicago. And um, so he, he pastored there for, I don't know, 30 or 40 years and wound up dying finally uh, in like the early 90s. Um, and he had a moral decision he had to make right as he first got to the church in the 60s. Am I going to reach little dirty lost kids who have no money or am I going to let the rich part of my congregation tell me what to do Jack Howells decided to reach the little lost dirty kids the rich kids or the rich kids they're their kids the rich people got up 500 of them walked out of the church in one day one guy gave $75,000 every week Jack Howells said he knew that because he made sure he told him that but there was a moral decision. Am I going to reach the people Jesus told me to reach, or am I going to worry about the money? Bobby Robertson was a pastor in Walkertown, North Carolina. Bobby took the church at 26 years old. Shortly thereafter, he had the same type of decision to make. It actually, the stress over it put him into a heart attack, and he landed in the hospital. And while in the hospital, a, a huge fraction of the church decided they weren't sticking around to see what this guy was going to do. They were just going to bolt because he was trying to reach people that they didn't want. So they bolted. So he had 300 people in his church when he went into the hospital and he had 75 people in his church when he came out of the hospital. And he just began to preach God's word and reach people that he was supposed to. Preach God's word and reach people that he's supposed to. And you know what? About five, seven years down the road, the windows of heaven began to open. And Bobby Robertson watched God do miracles in his church, Gospel Light Baptist Church. You can look it up. And God just began to expand and reach people and reach people. Why? Because he stood by the moral integrity of the Bible. See, when you're in the moral crosshairs, you have to decide what I'm going to, what am I going to do? Am I going to do what Jesus says or am I going to go with the crowd? Am I going to worry about what Jesus thinks of me? I'm not going to worry about what these few people think of me. See, guys, we have to stop and we have to look at that and realize that when we violate the absolute moral authority, number four, we insult him. We insult Jesus when we decide to violate what he's told us to do. I preached a message, oh, I don't know, nine or ten years ago with the, the question, would you ever spit in the face of Jesus? Because as he was being taken on that night and lied about and beaten, people were spitting in his face. And I asked that question, and the congregation then is doing much what some of you are doing now. You're shaking your head, no. I would never spit in his face, but every one of us have. See, we spit in his face when we decide not to do what he's told us to do. Proverbs tells us this, chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. 
The problem with America is there's no fear of the Lord. He's the big guy upstairs. Oh, me and him, we got, a, we got an agreement. You want me to tell you what the agreement God has with you? You're either going to trust his son or you'll spend eternity in hell. There's your agreement. You want an agreement? There it is. Jesus hung on the cross. Or before he got to the cross, I'm sorry. Jesus was speaking to the high priest and during the, the fake trials. And as he's speaking, one of the guys smacked him. He said, you shouldn't be talking to the high priest that way. And he smacked him. Now, Jesus didn't say anything out of line. Isn't that still true today that we put more authority or more respect towards the person standing in front of us than we do God himself? We, we want to be worried more about what they think than what he thinks. Some of you are thinking, man, I shouldn't have come today. It happens. Uh, see, times haven't changed. We've simply replaced things. We've replaced sorcerers with call-in psychics. We've replaced idols that we worship with children that we worship. We, all we've done is trade things and still put God second or third. Garth has a... It's funny because when you hang around Garth, you start to take on some of his mannerisms, and they're not all positive. But uh, two times yesterday, two times yesterday, uh, well, one time yesterday, one time this morning, uh, we invited people to come to service with us. And Garth pops off to both of them. Well, there's 168 hours in the week, and you can't give God an hour and a half. See, we take that hour and a half, and we always try to come up with a reason why. Well, Why? I mean, I got sports. My kids are playing sports, or I don't feel good. Anyone ever not felt good and still come to church? All the time. Well, I just don't feel like it. See, we, we, we just replace it, and we're not worried about what man. We're, we're more worried about what the person sitting in the pew thinks than what God Almighty thinks. But he's the absolute moral authority. He's the one that we should be more concerned about than anything else. So what happens when you violate his authority? You're done. Is there any hope? I mean, it's like I've gone and I've said, hey, when you violate, there are consequences, da-da-da-da-da. Is there any hope? Maybe you're here today and you say, hey, I mean, I've violated his authority. Is there any hope at all for me? No. Just kidding. Uh, (laughs) There's hope for those who have violated God's authority. Why? Because we've all violated his authority. But there's only two ways. Two ways that there's hope for you. Okay? Hear me. Number one, it's called salvation. Without salvation... You're doomed to a place of eternal torment called hell. Salvation is simply this. It's real complicated, so make sure you're ready. Okay, it's real complicated. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, mouth, resulting in salvation. He said, well, I prayed a prayer before. That's not what it said. See, here, here's the issue. I prayed a prayer three different times, right? I said it with my mouth, but never believed it in my heart. Then there's other people who won't ever, you know, they, they undercover Christians, Ben. They said a prayer, but they don't want people at work to know. They won't, don't want their spouse to know. I mean, they're undercover. They're going to heaven, but they ain't taking no one with them. But they're really not going either. They're Matthew 7s. I'm not going to tell you what that is. You've got to look that one up, okay? So it's confessing with your mouth. It's confessing with your life. It's believing in your heart. And there's a difference in believing in your heart and believing in your head. 
Lots of times that 18-inch journey from your head to your heart, some of you guys got really big heads, so maybe it's 19 or 20, but that journey takes forever. Kids catch it quick because they don't have all the other pollution. Adults, we want to reason it out. Well, wait a minute. You mean to tell me that I've done this, 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 and this, and Jesus will just forgive me? Yes. But I did this, and how's he going to, and I did, and how's he going to, because he would, but I just don't under, you're overthinking it. Right? You're overthinking it. So if you violate his authority, there's salvation. Now, maybe you're here today, and you say, well, I've already been saved. I've already been saved, and I violated his authority. I've done the wrong thing. What do I do? How do I do? It's called sanctification. Okay? Sanctification is a process that no one here has ever arrived to yet. Do you know how you know you'll be, that you finally finished the sanctification process? You open your eyes and see Jesus. Okay? You dead. Okay? Dead, kaputs, not breathing, you're over. You made it. Okay? Sanctification is a process that you work on getting not better because you want to be better, but you're getting better because you have Jesus. You're not doing some of the same stupid things that you did before. You ever done anything stupid and say, why in the world did I do that? Like every time I open my mouth, I sometimes do that. So sanctification is a process it's not one that we catch quickly. It's one that takes time for us. So if you did the wrong thing, right, you ask for forgiveness, you repent. That's a hard word. It's, it's really hard to do. You just turn around, right? You repent, you ask them to forgive you, and you work on doing better. Does that mean that you might slip and fall and do the same stupid thing again? Yes. Do you know what that makes you? Human. It's real hard. But don't forget the small things are what gets you. It's the small things that will trip you up. I want to tell you something. Now, some of you that have been here for a while, you may remember it, you may not. But as I look out, there's a bunch of new faces that have never heard it. So I'll share it, and after this, we'll be done. I'll pray, and we'll go. So there's this, this guy up in the hills, and he's way up in the mountains of, like, Kentucky, West Virginia. I mean, you know, there's people that live up there that you've never, ever known were there, okay? I mean, they're just way up there. This guy decides that one day I want to come down, and I want to see what's happening in the world. So he comes down off the mountain, and he's like, sees cars, and, I mean, he's never seen a car. That's the first time he'd never, ever seen a car. I mean, they're still using horses and wagons, right? And they walk in a lot of places up in the mountains. He comes down and sees cars. He hears a plane and looks up and sees this thing flying over him. And he's kind of getting freaked out. He's not sure what's going on. Then he's walking along and he trips over something metal in the ground. He's like, man, what is that? He puts his ear down to it. He hears it, and he's like, man, what is that? He keeps his ear there, and he hears, chew. It's a little bit louder. He's got his ear there, and chew. Before he knows it, man, that thing is really loud, and a train smacks him. It flips him over into the ditch, and this guy driving by sees him, and he runs over and picks him up, and he's like, hey, are you okay? Are you okay? And the guy's unconscious, can't find any ID on him. They rush him to the emergency room. The emergency room ain't got a clue who this guy is, but he's going to live. So the guy takes him home, and him and his wife decide they're going to care for this guy until he's okay, and then they'll help him find his family. So they're caring for him, and they're feeding him in bed and bringing all this stuff to him. And the guy's laying in his bed one day, and the wife comes in and says, hey, do you want some tea? He's like, tea? She's like, oh, it'll help you. It'll help you. Let me go make it. He's laying in his bed, and all of a sudden he hears, He 
He jumps up out of his bed. He finds a baseball bat and runs out there, and he beats the fire out of this tea kettle that's on the stove. She's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? He said, that thing looks small now, but it gets big fast. (laughs) Remember that about your sins. It may look small now, but it'll get big fast. Let me pray for you. Father God, we thank you for this day, and God, we thank you again just for the opportunity to be able to call upon you. God, we thank you that you have settled the questions of what's morally right and what's morally wrong. Father, there shouldn't be an argument or a discussion about it. We just have to do what you said, and sometimes that sounds a whole lot easier than what it really is. God, I understand that. But, Father, I pray that you'll give us that strength, Father, that can only come from you. God, I pray that you'll give us that grace that can only come from you. Father, allow us to be grace givers and truth bearers. Allow us to do what it is that you want us to do, Father, and not worry about what everybody else is going to think about us. God, don't let us have negative consequences because we were afraid to talk, because we were afraid to point out something, because we were afraid that they may not like us, that they'll leave. God, help us to be more concerned with what you think than what everybody else thinks. And God, as we go out from this place, Father, as Rawson prayed earlier, let us take something with us today that we can share with people that are hurting. Father, whether it's someone who doesn't, who's never ever had a relationship with you, God, allow us to go out and share Jesus with them. Father, realizing that we are nobody, and Father, we're just trying to point someone to you. Or Father, if we do have a relationship with Jesus, we've, we've slipped and fallen. God, I pray that you would give us the strength to Father, get back up, and God, you'll dust us off, set us back on the right path, and God will continue to go forward, not letting the enemy tell us and drag us down about all of our past, but Father, constantly reminding him about what his future is. So God, we love you and we thank you. We pray now as we go forward, Father, that we will do everything that you've called us to do. And God, I pray that you'd help us to enlarge our borders. Father, keep us from evil. God, guide our steps. And most of all, God, I pray that we would live for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.